the text for this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 11. We return to the book of Hebrews, verses 13 to 16. Let me pray as we begin. Lord, we do pray that we would be enabled by you to see by faith. Lord, give us eyes to see your word. Give us faith to do your word. And give me faith, Lord, to preach clearly, accurately, purposefully, with earnestness, that you might be exalted for Christ's sake. Amen. There are notes on my left, your right, or at least it used to be up there on the shelf. Do you desire to go to heaven? Amen. Do you desire to go to heaven right now? That's a different question, right? Have you seen the Far Side comic strip before? There's one of them where this man died and he went to heaven and he has wings and he has a harp and he's on a cloud. And there's bubbles of what he's thinking. And his thoughts were, I wish I would have brought a magazine. Because he's bored. How do you think of heaven? Is heaven a place not only that you desire to go, but if you had the option, you would say, I'm ready to go now, Lord, take me. Do you desire to go to heaven? Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, all the way to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. I'm not going to preach on all that. We've already covered uh, much of that. But verses 13 to 16 of chapter 11 fall in a context actually about heaven and about the reality of heaven. We see it by faith, but also it empowers our faith. And helps us to do great things for the Lord. Verse 32, but remember the form of chapter 10, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back... My soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Now, faith is discernment of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, 
fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now verse 13, our passage this morning. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. When we've looked at this passage, really Hebrews chapter 10, 34, all the way to the end of chapter 11, we have... Summarize it in this way. Faithfully press forward in faith in Christ Jesus, especially during difficult times. Faithfully press forward with faith in Jesus, especially during difficult times. That's the context, historically and theologically, of this passage that we have before us. And we've said there's three means to do this. The first is to understand the best is yet to come. And we saw that at the end of chapter 10. And then we also said the second means is refuse to lose your confidence. Not confidence in self, chapter 10, verse 35, but confidence in the gospel. And then we've been looking at for several, several weeks, chapter 11, the third means exercise your faith. Faith by its nature is alive. If you don't exercise it, then it very well could be an inauthentic faith. It could be a dead faith. And we've said to exercise your faith would look like several different things, which we have before us in this passage with all the by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All the different examples are telling us how to exercise this faith by the examples that we see in this passage. And so we've said, first, believe to understand. And then believe to get right with God, believe to please God, believe to obey God. And then we said believe to go forward in Christ, in this life that we have on this earth, to be godly, to go all the way into the end, believe to go forward. And we see that in verses 8 all the way down to verse 22, because primarily it's talking about the patriarchs in this section. Believe to go forward. Now, to understand belief to go forward, and you can look at your notes, we've said that we start by faith. Abraham started his believing journey by believing God. We continue by faith. And even like Sarah, though our faith is imperfect, even if it's small, we continue on with an imperfect faith. And then this morning, verses 13 to 16, faith desires the best home. We desire the best home, which is with God, with Christ, and heaven, that celestial city, by faith. We press forward, knowing that there is something that is better for us with the Lord. And so faith, then, when we look at this passage, not only looks to the past, to the content of what God has promised, but uh, also looks forward to that ultimate object which he has promised, which is what? Himself and his city and his kingdom. So then let's explore and expand on this more, this idea that faith goes forward by desiring that better city, that better country, which is the kingdom of God, which is God himself being with Christ. What does this involve? What does this look like? Well, first... This involves not only living by faith, but dying by faith. This involves not only living by faith, but even dying by faith. 
We walk by faith, certainly, but also we are to die by faith. When you look at this passage, chapter 11, I've forgotten how many times it says by faith. You can count them up yourself. But even if we were to look before verse 13, 1, 2, 3, uh, 4, 5, 6, 7, at least seven times it says by faith. And then all of a sudden in our passage, if you look at verse 13 in the English text, it does say I-N in faith, but the Greek text is different. It's not I-N. In Greek, it would be like an E-N, an E-V-N, but in the Greek text, it's kata, K-A-T-A. It's kata, which means according to. That is, there is a significant break in the pattern of words that the Spirit of God chose to use. And so when you have a significant break like that, a choice is being made because something is trying to be pointed out. All these died according to the faith that they had expressed and lived by. It's really actually significant. I wish they would have kept the according to, but but it may not sound the best in English. All these died according to faith. That might kind of trip people up. It may sound kind of awkward, but but it should trip people up. They live by faith. They live by faith. Noah and Abel, all all the way up through all the patriarchs, live by faith. But also our passage says they died according to that faith that they had lived by. They started by faith. They continued by faith. And they finished how? By faith. They finished well. When we look at our passage, not so much Enoch, but Abel and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And I think we could even say, say those that are after them. Not only did they start their believing journey, their godly journey by faith, they also ended their life in faith. Isn't that way, the way that you want to end your life? In faith? Don't we want to die according to our faith? Do you want to be on your deathbed, barely breathing, maybe semi-conscious, and say, I don't believe? That'd be tragic. Now, remember the context of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew people that have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They're being tempted by other Hebrews and also culture and society that are not believers to go back to the Judaistic religion because they confessed their faith in Christ and instead of life getting easier, life got more difficult. Some of their friends and families are thrown into prison. Some of them are thrown into prison. They've had their personal property robbed and seized or having a difficult time. You all came to Christ and what happened? Life got more difficult. So why stay with Jesus? Go back to your old religion. And so the book of Hebrews is written to these Hebrew Christians seeking to encourage them not to be like their forefathers and their ancestors that were redeemed out of Egypt by the blood and power of God and yet failed to enter into the promised land because of unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So those that had tasted and seen the very power of God over false religion and false idols saw fantastic miracles of God do many great things. All of them... failed to enter the promised land except for two. Joshua and Caleb. Moses certainly had faith. But most of Israel, apparently, Hebrews 3.19, died in a type of unbelief. And so here in this passage, God is encouraging these Hebrew Christians and you and I to be sure that not only do we, yes, boast, I I believe in Jesus, I believe 
and the word of God. I believe in its promises. I, I believe in the truth of scripture. Not only do we boast about that when we are doing well, but even when the light gets dim and our health quickly deteriorates, that we be like my mom, that we be like Ron, that we be like Dr. Sreesander. I, I think I've told you about Dr. Sreesander. He was a believer in India, and he was a medical doctor, and he was a pastor, and started, uh, I think, Evangelical Amen's Fellowship. And he was dying. He had this kidney disease. And so I brought him some books on heaven so he, his soul could be encouraged. And I got to his house, and he had all these books lying around. He's kind of uh, semi-laying down on his couch. And I came in, and, of course, his wife gave me chai and, and tea. And I said, Dr. Sreesander, I, I brought you th- these two books so you can read them and be encouraged about heaven as you're passing away. And he said, Tom, I, I, I don't have time. And I thought, oh, wow, he, he's going to die, <laughs> like, really quickly. And he smiled and said, no, I, I don't have time. I have to translate all these John MacArthur books from English into Marathi. I don't have time to read your books. I have to finish translating this stack of books. I, I think I have about two weeks. I have to finish translating all these books before I go home. So he passed away, not in unbelief, he passed away in this vigorous belief in Christ. We are encouraged, and these believers that have read this book are encouraged to not only live by faith, but also to die by faith. Second, what does this mean that we desire to go home, it means that we want to not just live by faith, but also I, I want to die faithful, but also I want to die saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, and I'm saved by grace alone through faith alone. That's how I want to die. But also, in the here and now, this involves fully embracing what you do not yet possess. This involves fully embracing what you do not fully possess yet. See in verse 13, please look at verse 13. You have this main verb, all these died in faith. Died, that's the main verb. Modifying that, you have, I think it is four participles, without receiving the promise, having seen them, having welcomed them, and even this confessing, having confessed that they are strangers and exiles on the earth. There is a way that that they died And it says here that they died by faith, but actually they hadn't fully received the promises of God. They did not possess by experience the actual full extent of all the promises that God had made to them, but rather they died believing, looking, looking forward Not simply backwards to what God had said, but looking forward to what God had promised and yet not having actually experienced all the nuances of those promises of God. Really, it's amazing to me, but it's also true for you and I. There's many things that God has promised that we have not yet received, you know, a a glorified body. We've not yet received that. But yet, here it says, look at verse 13, without receiving them, they saw them and welcomed them. They saw them. Remember what Jesus said about Abraham in John chapter 8? He said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. There's a sense in which Abraham understood to a degree the promise apparently made to him about a a seed would be a blessing to the whole world. Maybe even he understood that through his lineage, Genesis 3.15 would be answered. And so though he did not fully see all the nations of the earth blessed through his Descendants, though Abraham did not own and have his sons 
ruling over our living and all the area of the land of Canaan, there is a sense in which Abraham did not, therefore, actually experience all the promises of God being fulfilled in his own lifetime. But yet, Scripture is saying that he saw them. He was able to understand that they were true and that they were very real. But here's what's kind of ironic to me. If you look at verse 13, all these died in faith, receiving their promises, but having seen them. Well, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, now faith is discernment of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, we walk by faith and not by sight. But yet, Hebrews eleven thirteen is saying that these men and women, they died according to faith. And part of that involved them seeing that which they had not yet fully received and embraced. There is a sense in which faith sees. Faith sees that which is invisible. But God's grace, when we have faith and we believe him, we see things that most of the world does not see. We see God and we see Christ and we understand Scripture. We see God's promises as more reliable than the sun coming up tomorrow morning. So that is, God has promised us a future where there will be no evil, no sin, no curse, perfect health. There no longer would be any temptation to be glorified, to reign with Christ, to be with millions, billions of other loved ones that that have trusted Jesus. We don't see those taking place, a, a world of perfect love and light where only righteousness reigns, that there's never any disappointment ever. No darkness. We don't experience that yet, but we see it in many ways as being more sure than on the way home we won't get in a car accident. What's more sure? That there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and that you're going to be in a perfect state of incredible joy forever reigning with Christ. Hebrews 2.10 talks about experience and glory. Is that more sure or is it more sure that you're going to make it home safely? Which is more sure? More sure is that if you were to die and you've trusted Jesus, that your experience is going to be literally out of this world. It's going to be incredible. That's what this text is saying, and even saying to these Hebrew Christians, and so it gives them courage to be willing to suffer, because they see the promises of God as more reliable than Mount Rainier's not going to explode today. They see it. And not only that, but if you look at verse 13, it says, having welcomed them from a distance. Now, perhaps we've lost this in many of our Western homes, and not, not totally, but if you were in an Asian home or a Middle Eastern home or, or an Indian home, when you would visit somebody, they would treat you normally very, very well. Many Indian homes I would go to, they would prepare a meal and actually a very lavish, expensive meal for them and sit down and watch me eat. the way that they would view visiting a guest is that they would want to make that guest feel very loved and very special. That's the idea of having welcomed them from a distance. It's the idea, and this word would be used if somebody was on a journey and came to her house, they would see that person, and especially in the Middle Eastern context, they would hug that person and then do what? They would kiss them, embrace them, love them. That's the idea of this passage. And even in many different secular contexts, you know what it says, having welcomed them from a distance, these these promises of God that seem distant, yet we see them, and yet there is this 
embracing uh, this longing to hug and to experience. Part of this in the secular writings that this word was used, having welcomed them, involves this anticipation of what a joyful time that this is going to be. That's all part of this idea of having welcomed them. It's not just, hey, what's up? How's it going? No, it's, I, ooh, I'm gonna, I'm never gonna let you go, and I, I just want to love you and kiss you and, and hold you, and, and you're so special, and I, I just long for that. And it's not simply the, the promise, but it's the contents of the promise, being with our Savior and our Lord and our loved ones forever, in a perfect environment with a perfect King and a perfect, better, best city ever. To the world, it may seem foolish, but it's because they don't have faith. Faith helps us to see that which is invisible. But further, when we're talking about we need to go forward by faith, faith goes forward. Part of that is that you desire to be in heaven. It doesn't mean that you're going to be no good on earth. But there is this longing in your heart, I want to be with Jesus. And if the worst thing that could happen to me would be to die, that would be the best thing that could ever happen to me. I'd be with the Lord. That that grips your heart. It gives you freedom. As it says in Hebrews chapter 2, that the fear of death has been obliterated. Not because you're super spiritual, but because God is gracious and has prepared a city for you. This involves not only living by faith, but dying by faith. This involves fully embracing what you do not yet possess. Like it's a dear loved one, you you just long for it and hug it and kiss it. And those promises that God has for you about the future are just incredibly awesome. And then also, third, this involves admitting you are an alien. Admit it. You're an alien. And you act like an alien. You see this at the end of verse 13 when it says, having confessed. Would you say this morning, Tom, I have to tell you, maybe also the U.S. government, I'm actually an alien. And my identity is not of this earth. Actually, you are. Your very identity is that you are an extraterrestrial. If you're in Christ. I don't know if you saw this. You know, I get these little news feeds that it was in Miami, Florida at the airport that there was reported to be actually aliens from outer space walking around. They were eight feet tall. Did you hear that? Maybe some of you saw that. I saw that. There were many, many police cars there. Many is a big, huge thing. Of course, there were no aliens there. From outer space... But this passage is saying that there are people that are so different. Their identity is so different that they are strangers and exiles on earth. That they are a type of a foreigner, not to America or to Egypt or to India or Russia. They are a foreigner to earth itself. And this idea of confessing is they're looking at the promises of God and they see how special and amazing those promises of God are for them. And so they confess that my very identity, the very makeup of my being is not a culture of any culture on earth, but my ultimate culture is the culture of God and Christ and of heaven. Here when it says the word strangers, we would get our English word xenophobia from it. Strangers is basically the word xeno. Foreigners. And there is a true sense in which somebody that is a believer in Jesus Christ, they are a foreigner on the earth. Have you ever felt that way? That the culture of the earth is different 
than your culture? Have you ever felt that life here is just so brief and just so short? And isn't there anything else beyond this life? Well, part of that is because your culture is not on the earth. The very root of your soul goes not down into the dirt, but into God and into being created into a a new creation. This word here where it says exiles on the earth was used during the time of the New Testament for individuals, even businessmen, that were on a temporary journey. They, they might go into Jerusalem, for example, to do work, to do business. They would do their business there. It could be a week, two weeks. It could be a month. It could be a year. And then they would leave and go back home. That's the historical context when it says exiles. Some translations might say pilgrims. Some translations won't say exiles. It might say refugees. It's the idea that somebody is temporarily away from their home. They're going to do their work, and then they're going to return. So do we have in our heart this desire that I, I confess, and in a sense, I'm an alien. I, I'm, I'm a stranger here on earth. I, I don't ultimately belong here on this planet. And you'll note, look at verse 14. For those who say such things, make it clear. They, they have this witness and this testimony that they're seeking a country of their own, that they belong to a different ethnic, geographical, political people group. We could say that there are such things as Christian nomads in the sense where we are that wayfaring stranger. We're a type of a wandering believer that we have a job to do, but our most important country is not the country of our birth, but that eternal country and kingdom and city and home of God and that we're seeking not. It's not wrong to be patriotic. I think I'm very patriotic, but our ultimate allegiance is not to the flag. Our ultimate allegiance is to Christ. It's to God in the kingdom of heaven. That's our greatest allegiance. And we're seeking that country. That is our home. And there is this admission that faith has in its soul that there is something better, that there is something deeper, there's something more pure, there's something more lasting, there's something more righteous, and it has my highest devotion. And that's Christ and the kingdom of heaven. And so we admit that we belong somewhere else. We're not of this world. Can you confess that you are an alien? And that at times you feel like an alien? Now this passage goes goes on, number four, in terms of faith goes forward in a sense where it sees that it's home it's actual home. I, I praise God for the home that I have. It's a lovely home. Lisa's made it very nice. But our ultimate home is not here. Our ultimate home is there. And that gives us great freedom to go forward in life for Christ. But to go forward means we don't go backward. And this is number four in terms of this outline of understanding, desiring by faith, uh, home, a, a celestial home, is it involves never going backward. You can look at verse 15, which says, if they wanted to, basically, they would have gone back and settled down and err. Now, remember, Sarah, I should say Abraham more than Sarah, Abraham, I think, was he in Egypt twice? <laughs> Maybe twice. 
It wasn't that Abraham was perfect, but Abraham didn't go back to his home and settle back down in Ur of what Mesopotamia, Iran, Iraq, in that area, but rather he kept on going forward in faith in the promises of God. You can see this in verse 15. They had the opportunity to go, but they chose not to do that. They didn't go backward in faith. They went forward in their faith. Faith doesn't go backward. Faith goes forward. The way it's designed is it it's forward marching. Now, as a believer, we can falter and fall. But because God has given us true faith, we get back up, and what do we do? We press forward. We keep going. Again, Abraham, Sarah, we just saw a few weeks ago... God told Sarah, you're going to be a child, you're going to give birth to a son. And what was her response? Oh, praise God, I I believe you. Was that Sarah's response? How did she respond? She laughed. (laughs) Like, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, That can't happen. Was her faith perfect? No. Was Abraham's faith perfect? No. Was her faith persistent? Yes. I think they had persistent faith. They continued to slog it out and plow ahead. It reminds me of the prophet Micah that said, Though I fall, I will arise. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Faith will keep pressing forward. And even if the steps are small, it keeps pressing forward. What do you do when you falter and you fall down? Do Do you go backwards? You know, if you're climbing a mountain or going up a steep hill, you start going backwards, you're, you're never going to get to the top. You have to keep going forward. And if you do falter and, and we will and you do sin and you will and I have, we go to 1 John 1 7. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all my sin. I trust Jesus Christ to save me. I, I call on Him to save me. I'm not saved by my good deeds. I'm saved by His good deed, by His death on the cross and His resurrection. And I've asked Him to forgive me and save me. That's how I'm saved. I'm going to keep going forward. And again, this Spirit of God through the human writer is telling these Hebrew Christians, don't go backwards. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back into a state of captivity. Why would you do that? That won't work out well for you. Keep going forward by faith. That's the very nature of faith. Go forward. Forward ho. Keep going. Uh, Hebrews, not Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 6. Paul talks about the shield of faith. And normally you don't use a shield. Place it behind your back like this. You have it out in front. Why? Because you're going to go forward. You're going to go forward and you're going to interact and battle with the enemy. And you have your shield of faith to protect you. And you keep going forward. Faith is not meant for go backwards. If you go backwards, then you're going to get to a place where you say, you know, faith just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, you're going backwards. Faith doesn't work when you go backwards. It works when you go forward in Christ. Challenging yourself, challenging the world, challenging sin. Even if your steps of faith are teeny tiny, take them. We ended, I'm sorry, we didn't end. We, we, start, we, we ended last year and started the, the new year with can you trust God more this year than last year? Can you do that? Can you trust Christ more this year than last year? Maybe you would say... I don't know if I can. Well, can you 50% trust God more this year than last year? Maybe you'd go as low as 1%. I'd give you like 1%. I think I can trust Christ 1% better this year than last year. That 1% is a tiny amount of faith, but Jesus said it could do what? It can move a mountain. And in five years, that will be 5%. Faith can do great things, not because of the amount of faith, but the object of faith. And faith is not meant for you to go backwards. It's meant for you to go forward. Now, number five. Number five involves 
And we see this in verse 16. This involves seeking to grasp the superior choice, the, the, the better choice, because of the builder. We desire a, a better home. Faith goes forward because it desires the, the greater home. And you see this in verses, and, and verse 16. Instead of going backward, faith rather goes forward. If you were in Sunday school, Brett bought out the, in the Greek, you can have the words men and then a day, M-E-N and then D-E. And it can mean on the one hand this, on the other hand that. And that's what you have in this passage. Uh, on the one hand, they did not go backwards. They went forward. But on the other hand, they went forward because they desired a heaven home. It wasn't just in a negative sense that they didn't go back. In a positive sense, they kept desiring the the best thing. Faith isn't just simply that you reject the world. Faith is that you want to embrace the better world. The trade-off with faith. It's not, uh, I, I, I reject the world and Satan and evil things and sin. Because I'm so pious. Faith is, I reject the world because God, Jesus Christ, heaven, and all the, the promises of God and Christ are infinitely better than what the world has to offer. And so I desire him, and I desire those, and I desire that. But as it is, they desire a better country. A better country. Remember, we've already seen this word better. It's a better savior, a better covenant, a, a better sacrifice. Hebrews 11.4. And now there's a better city, a, a better country, a better home. One that it is God himself who has made this. Now, when it says desire here, but as it is, they desire a better country. It's the idea of craving, idea of aspiring. It, it's used in First Timothy 6.10 when it talks about the love of money. It's not the word love, but it's associated with that. This craving of, I, I have to have more. But here it's, I have to have more of the very best thing, which is God and Christ and heaven. It's a very powerful word. It's not the usual word, epithumia. It's not that word. It's a different word. This intense craving for this, and it's, you see the word country is not there, but as it is, they desire a, a better one. A better one what? Well, going back all the way up to verse 14, they desire a better country, a better home, a, a, a better city. They desire the, the very best that there is. Just the idea of really seeking to, to grasp because there's this craving that you have for heaven. Do you, do you crave heaven? Do you crave being with God? Do you crave being with Christ and looking at Him, spending time with Him face to face? Do you, do you crave not being tempted? Do you crave holiness and perfect love and perfect light and life forever? Perfect joy, no sin, no disappointment, no sadness, no pain, forever and forever and forever. Well, that is this better country. It is a heavenly one. It's described as this country, this city, this home is in heaven. It's different. It's a place of holiness. Now further, when you look at verse 16, it, it gives two motivations really why we should have this, this craving. And it says, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. An incredible statement to me that, that has encouraged me. I should have, you should have this intense desire to go to heaven. Not that you would ever, of course, want to commit suicide or anything like that, but in your heart of hearts, you're thinking, my ultimate destination is to
to be with Christ. And even with all my friends and loved ones that have trusted him. And a perfect world of love and righteousness and peace, that's what I love. Think Maybe perhaps you could think of it this way. Have you started to plan your vacation yet? Have you started to plan for your vacation yet? I'm thinking, spoiler alert to my kids and family, maybe we'll go to Yellowstone. So I, I, I'm like my dad. I, I love maps. If you go to my car in the back of the seat, it has a, an atlas and you can break it out and look at all the maps. And so I'm planning to go to Yellowstone and I'm going to map out the whole way there and even alternate routes in case something happens. Now, if that's all I did to prepare to go to Yellowstone, would I really want to go to Yellowstone? I would be more impressed with the journey than the actual destination. If I really want to go to Yellowstone, what am I going to do? I'm going to read up and study all about Yellowstone and all of its glories and how amazing it is. So this craving is not simply for this trip. It's not simply, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's not simply I'm going to figure out whether I am, or whether the Bible says it's pre or Ah, or post, or mill, or proto-gap rapture, and all the different nuances of eschatology, and people can become so enamored with my exact eschatological position that they miss Christ. And they actually miss heaven. And here, this craving is not for post-mill, ah-mill, pre-mill, pre-tribulational rapture, pre-rapture, rapture, post-tribulational rapture, but it's, I want God, and I want Christ, and I want heaven itself. That is what I crave. Why? Because I want to be with the one that's, he's the king, the creator, and the sustainer of the universe, the most powerful person and loving person, most important person in all the world, and he's not ashamed of me. He knows me better than all of you, and he's not ashamed of me. Have you ever had anybody say to you, shame on you? Have you ever had anybody say that? I've had somebody say that to me, shame on you. Ouch, you know, that can kind of hurt. Shame on you. Here, it says, God is not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to be called their God. God's not ashamed of you. By his grace, you're in Christ. You have the very righteousness of Christ. God doesn't deny you. He doesn't mock you. He doesn't recoil from you. I won't get to heaven and God's not going to be like, are you brothers and sisters aren't going to get to heaven and God's not going to be like, I have to go over here. Sorry. God, he's not going to do that. He loves you. If you're in Christ, by his grace and love, In fact, Scripture says, Zephaniah 3, I think it's verse 17, what does the Lord do? He sings over you. God's not ashamed of you, believer. Now, he may not like your sin, and as a father, he may correct you to help you to overcome sin, but he's not ashamed of you. He doesn't recoil from you. He's unshy about his love. Zephaniah 3.17 is the idea that God is singing and writing love songs about you. He's not ashamed of you. He died for you. He's your judge and king, but also your, your savior. It's amazing. And so that's why we long for the better home for heaven, because our savior and our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, is there. Not only that, you can see the end of verse 16, for he has prepared a city for them. Sometimes I see that, a city for them. Well, I don't want to live in a city. I'm a country boy. Well, the idea of city is not necessarily uh, water-wall concrete, loud horns all the time, uh, crime, and crowdedness. (laughs) That's not the idea of this city. The idea of this city is that you won't be in, in isolation, 
that there is a an actual home, a actual dwelling, other places called mansions, homes, a country, a group of people ruled by this omnipotent, benevolent, gracious, kind, perfect king and being with him and them together in this perfect community of light and love and holiness forever and forever and forever where there's no crime, the power doesn't go off, there's no disasters, everything is absolutely perfect forever and forever and forever. And the one who made it is who? It's God. And know what it says in the text. Look at verse 16. He's prepared it for them. He's prepared it for you. Meaning he knows what you truly like in your heart. He knows what's best for you. And he's prepared it for you. To enjoy forever. This is amazing. And so that's why we seek to grasp. We crave this craving that seeks to to grasp not just the chocolate cake not just gold here on this earth but the the gold of heaven itself the, the beauty of heaven and of Christ forever and forever and so that causes our faith to go forward now let me just clarify this as quick as i can the best to come will never be by the hands of mankind that said a lot today The best is yet to come. True statement. But the best yet to come is not the restoration of a constitutional republic. I want that with all my heart. I would love to see us have a a a fully, with all the rights and privileges of a fully restored republic. If we have that someday in the U.S., that would be incredible. But that is nothing. That's, that's nothing compared to the best to come. Because the best of, to come is with God and Christ forever and forever in heaven with the Lord. He's my ruler, my savior, my judge, my king, my Lord, yours, and he's ashamed of you. He's not ashamed to be called your God. Do you want to go to heaven? When do you want to go to heaven? There's a true sense where all of us would say, I want to go to heaven, and I'm ready to go to heaven right now. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace that you would prepare a city for us, that you would redeem us, that you would be our Lord, that you would be our Lord that saves us. Lord, may we have this kind of faith We don't go backward, we go forward. And where our faith is weak, strengthen it, Lord. May we desire heaven because you're there. You are the builder, you are the savior, you're the king and the Lord and our God. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so we give you the glory. May we walk by faith better today than yesterday. For Christ's sake, amen.